0: Angela, Brent, how do you two feel about road trips?
1: I love road trips.
0: I love them. Like...
1: <laughs> I love road trips, but I hate driving.
2: I don't need to drive during a road trip, do
0: I? <laughs> I'm asking because I came across some articles recently about smart roads. Does Do either mm. of you know what those are? No.
2: Sm- <laughs> smart roads, No. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't think I do either, but I have this hunch that IoT devices are involved. I think so you're So, like right. Internet of Things, like this feels feels like it's right, right there.
0: You may be onto something. Right? Eureka! You may be onto something. Yeah. When you hear anything with
2: the word "smart" in it, there's some technology somewhere lurking behind the
1: scenes. Yeah.
0: Angela has a good point. Smart roads are kind of the answer or the expansion of smart vehicles. We have devices and vehicles that are self-driving or that have smart technology, respectively. Smart roads are what happens when you apply that thinking a bit more broadly. You're making the environment do that kind of work of processing data to make driving a better experience. I wanted to know more about what makes smart roads a possible reality and... What goes into that kind of practical application of technology?
1: I think that's super interesting. Like I've I've heard of and thought about, you know, smart cars, autonomous vehicles, things like that. And it's actually never occurred to me that the thing that the car drives on <laughs> or the thing that it drives through could also be smart.
0: Me neither, to be honest, but I'm ready to find out a little bit more about smart road technology.
1: Let's do it. This is Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat. We're your hosts. I'm Angela Andrews. And I'm Brent Simino.
2: We're here to break down questions from the tech industry, big, small, and
1: sometimes strange. Each episode, we talk to Red Hatters and people they're connected to.
2: Today's question, how do roads become smarter? Producer Kim Wong is here with the story.
0: So, for the first part of our journey together, I wanted to go and find someone who could explain to me exactly what the technology is behind smart roads. So, I spoke with Harold McRegel. He's the chief technologist at Red Hat for automotive, and he's based in Germany. He talks a lot about the approach to smart roads and how it came to be, specifically a four stage model. The four stage model, what is it? Well, I'll let Harold explain it in a lot more detail, but just know that if you're talking about smart road technology, it's really hard to go from zero to 60 overnight. (laughs) See what you did there. (laughs)
3: That's good. We are starting with a traditional car approach. That is the first step, yeah? The cars we had traditional. And then the second step would be to enrich the car with services, yeah? A kind of Navi or an emergency service yeah, which is centered around the car itself to enrich the car to a smart car. The next stage would be that the car isn't anymore in the center of everything, it's mobility itself. Your yeah, mobility can be cars, can be bicycles, can be uh, planes, whatever. And that would be mobility or smart mobility. And in the end, we have, I would say, the highest stage with smart live and smart city. And I think the smart road is getting into that direction. We are thinking about the connectivity together, not only the cars, but also the environment, meaning that you have their points in the city which act there as IoT objects.
1: That's, I mean, that's kind of a lot to hold in my head. (laughs) Um, Help me out, Kim.
0: Okay, so stage one, regular cars. Okay. Stage two, we have devices. Your smartphone, your travel apps, your GPS, your Navi, as he likes to call it. Stage three is a more distributed system that has a centralized kind of point of data that then feeds information into other cars. And Mm. then the fourth one would be a complete smart city model. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Okay, got it. Can I ask, like, why do roads need to be smart? Or why do we want roads to be smart?
0: That's a good question. Let's focus on the ways we think about this now. So GPS or travel apps. That's an example of decentralized data, user-generated stuff where other people are traveling and they see things like an accident or a construction site. And they report that data up to the app and then other people see it. It sounds nice, but the desire for increased traffic safety and efficiency needs more than just individual devices. From Harold's perspective, data from an entire transit ecosystem could optimize travel in a big way.
3: In the end, it's a city smart life concept where you get suggestions for an optimal route and an optimal journey through the city, yeah, to, to achieve there something, and, and um, for that piece, it's important to get the street information, the smart road, you mentioned, with location, traffic, pollution, density, um, you get the information from the cars, we shouldn't focus only to cars, yeah we should focus to the whole traffic system, yeah thinking about to support public transportation and, and motivate for that.
2: This, to me, sounds like a lot of data. That's all I'm hearing. <laughs> mm. yeah. Like, there is a lot of data being generated. We're talking the smartness. Where does the smartness come from? You know, all of the things involved with transportation, it sounds like. Mm.
0: A lot of data that needs to be gathered and then centralized, mm-hmm. yep. which is not necessarily easy to do. This is a move away from that kind of decentralized experience of data. hmm making it more centralized and more standardized so that instead of just a few people being able to take advantage of it, Mm. everyone can kind of take advantage of that new real-time information and react accordingly.
1: Mm. And this would have a lot of benefits, right?
0: There's definitely pros and cons to this. And we'll talk about some of the cons later. Trust me, there's a few. Um, (laughs) I can think (laughs) of a few. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I believe that.
0: I do want to say that this technology is just highly, highly in testing phase. There are some countries uh, in Asia and in Europe that are rolling out these really small scale experiments, Mm -hmm. ones that are on large, even international highways that are being rolled out. But I was curious to see how something like this would play out in real life. What would a technologist say if they were asked to give a real-life example?
3: The best scenario would be that you have more freedom and more flexibility in the whole traffic system, that you um, have a kind of possibility to use an app. I want to come from point A to point B in that time uh, with these restrictions and you get there and suggestions your whole journey, be it that one part is driving with a car, but then before driving into the traffic jam of a city, because it's, it's in, in, in the middle of those traffic jams, you get a suggestion, okay, please park here, you get a ticket, you can drive uh, per subway to that location and, and so on and so on.
2: This sounds great because this doesn't just benefit people who drive cars. It could be good for everyone who travels within the city, bikers, bus riders, walkers,
0: maybe people who are carpooling, Mm -hmm. all of these different changes. And the way that we use this interconnectivity could have a positive impact on the way people travel. It could provide incentives for people to use, for example, more climate-friendly modes of transportation. It could have a positive Mm -hmm. impact on the environment and on noise pollution and and actual Mm -hmm. pollution. Here's Harold one more time.
3: With electrified cars, it's also important if you... To find the right loading spots and perhaps use the time there during loading or, or changing then also the, um, the traffic instrument and i think for that it would be good from an, a smart city concept to have the different aspects i would say not integrated in one platform but a kind of interaction between the different platforms where also the city itself or city authorities can make suggestions to motivate people to not drive directly into the city, yeah, and and use more public transports and and get some bonus points or whatever, yeah. Oh, I like what I'm hearing.
2: I like what I'm hearing. The gamification of travel. <laughs> what we can make travel
0: fun. Yes, I really like it too.
1: Angela, help us understand some of the technology. Around this, because I'm hearing him say something like, you know, it's not integrated in one platform, but it's interaction between different platforms. And to me, that has a possibility to be really complex?
2: It can be. But if there's some sort of standardization, yeah, if everyone's kind of speaking the same language, think about an API. You know, mm. you can access an API without having a whole lot of knowledge and know-how behind it. But that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Some sort of standardization as to how we connect these disparate systems. Mm. And you know, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, everything doesn't have to be ubiquitous. It doesn't have to be just one thing. But the ability to talk and communicate to disparate systems sounds like it's at the heart of building, you know, smart roads and in relation smart cities. Mm. There has to be some sort of uh, commonality as to how we're speaking.
0: So we spent a lot of time talking about the pros Let's talk about the cons. Mm. That's what I was waiting for. Crack's knuckle. <laughs> Here we go. We talked about IoT devices, smart vehicles. Those types of devices can introduce some concerns about security. Um, Harold says that that can complicate matters a little bit since smart roads are basically trying to do two things. They're trying to keep your information safe, and it's also trying to keep you the driver safe as well
3: mm. thinking about security in a way of almost safety yeah it's both aspects and from a red hat side we are taking these aspects very important thinking about that our technologies have to fulfill both the security that as an example no one can hack into your car or your mobile and create something terrible or take your data and, and use it for another reason.
0: Harold thinks the best way to avoid security issues lies in standardization. But in order to do that, smart road systems need to be able to talk to each other, to integrate. And there should be multiple systems, according to Harold, not just
3: one. I think it's very important that we don't think about uh, creating a big system which optimizes everything, yeah, a central brain, I think it's very important to think about pragmatic approaches. That's also very important thinking about software technology, thinking about creative approaches, giving the possibility to create systems and to integrate them and not creating a whole big system, which is very cost intensive.
1: This is kind of what I was imagining listening Mm -hmm. to Harold talk Mm -hmm. earlier. I mean, I really was imagining this like central brain, Mm. like a city or a state or like a federal government would like sort of control. Mm -hmm. That seems a little, I don't know, that seems a little scary to me. We've seen those movies, right? I know, we've seen that movie. (laughs) Yeah.
2: This does have a big brother feel to it. Yeah. Just the ethical implications about not everybody being an endpoint. You know, Mm. and not having any autonomy just to live our own lives, but be providing data constantly with every move that we make. That right there is pretty scary. Yeah, It
0: seems like this is not so much optimization of travel or transport more than it is some kind of extra surveillance that is on top of all the surveillance that we see in our daily lives. So I can see where people would be hesitant. The reality is it's going to be a little bit different and it's more of a distributed system than it is a system where all this data is going into this one central mother brain.
1: Mm. Yeah. And, you know, listening to our guest, it, 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 I can't help but think that the way that technology evolves, you know, it's, it's very rarely, if ever, perfectly implemented. Like you're never building something from scratch, so i could i could see the the way that this is actually you know kind of cobbling systems together and building on top of mm-hmm. older systems yeah. it, does that make sense
2: yeah it does listening to you talk it makes me think about open source how yeah. you know you can co- the word you use cobble together multiple projects yeah. and come up with something that's actually you know it's it's made of multiple projects but the the end result the end product is yeah. what you're is what you're left with, and you know how great that product could possibly be because one you know it is decentralized and yeah. you know everyone's different people are working on different parts of it, and that's where the innovation happens right you know nothing's yeah. happening in a vacuum,
1: yeah, because if you're like i'm thinking about like you know there are different jurisdictions right it's not like the state or any government controls all of the roads, for example, in any given territory, you know, like I, I live in a city and some of the roads in our city are county roads and Mm -hmm. some of the roads in our city are city roads and they literally can intersect together depending Mm -hmm. on where they start and end. I I think that's what I was thinking about when I was like, all these things are going to have to be cobbled together It starts to sort of make my brain explode. Like, it feels impossibly complicated (laughs) to build.
0: (laughs) I agree. I am definitely not envious of any transportation professional trying to figure this out. (laughs) But I did speak to someone with a bit of a pragmatic approach, which I think, in all honesty, is going to be needed. Mm. I spoke with Heather Husson. She's principal marketing manager for automotive at Red Hat, and she's based in the United States. I was concerned about how people, individuals, in the community would respond to smart vehicles and their smart roads, and how there might be privacy concerns or concerns about security. Heather says that the responsibility as far as security is a shared one.
4: That's on top of my mind as well. And I think it will take a combination of both the automakers, uh, the technology developers who are doing smart city technology, as well as the government bodies to come together and make sure they are protecting the users and their data.
0: And that's great. But then it introduces another kind of piece of this very complicated puzzle. You have some people who have newer vehicles with you know, smart technology already oh, built yeah, in. Yeah, and then you yeah. have people who have older vehicles like me and my mm. incredibly old Nissan Versa. What are
1: we back. talking? Two thousand two 2011. 11?
0: <laughs> yes. That's my baby. I call her the gray ghost.
1: Oh.
2: <laughs> so to your point, that's totally true. Like, how what do we do when you know most cars on the road especially in my city they're not brand yeah. new cars yeah. mm-hmm. you know and that technology is not embedded into these vehicles mm-hmm. it sounds to me like this is a ways down the road you know it they're mm-hmm. thinking about it now because that's where they should be thinking about it but to get that advancement into you know cars not not today or not tomorrow, but you know, in a couple of years down the road, no pun intended mm. um <laughs> that's where the, that's where the investment's going to have to go because right now yeah. people are driving around in their in their gray ghosts at the moment, and <laughs> yeah. you know they they can't contribute or or don't have the technology in their vehicles to contribute at the time,
1: and it's not like Oprah's going to come down and say, oh, "All right, vegan. everyone in Philadelphia <laughs> gets a smart car." <laughs>
2: And we have to pay the taxes on it, and that yeah, winds yeah, up yeah. sucking yeah. and all that. Oh, but you're, but yeah. you're right though. There's, we have to consider. Not everyone's going to be able to take part in this uh, right away. And that, and, and that gets
0: us a little bit further away from that ideal that Harold talked about in the opening. Yeah, I want to hear from Heather about this because she has some things to say. Autonomy just, it's not going to happen overnight. We're going to be in this mixed status for connected cars for
4: quite some time. And a lot of people are usually t- attached to their cars for 10 years or so. So it's a lot of varying technologies from no technology to the most advanced. And when I think of smart cities, the first thing I think of is smart roads as a way of advancing all of that. Um, you know, it advances safety not just for the people
0: inside the car, but it advances safety for the pedestrians, the bicyclists. Something that both Heather and Harold mentioned, something really important is cost. What is the cost of building smart roads? Because we all know it's all about the money. I wanted to know what are some creative approaches a government could maybe implement, like a hybrid model where there's a smart road hybrid. Heather said that a hybrid approach may be viable.
1: Mm.
4: What's the first small piece of the puzzle that we can look at that we can afford and budget Uh, that we think technology will have its most impact and most value for our city. And usually that comes in the form of some kind of visibility, of course, with respect to the community members needs to be
0: top of mind as well. So maybe it's not a stretch of highway. Maybe it's an intersection or maybe it's not a a, a complicated mess of county roads and city roads, maybe it's a smaller space that surrounds a highly trafficked area like a school. Even a small impact like that can have a a greater kind of effect on traffic patterns.
1: So we've been talking about smart roads this whole time. And as we've been doing that, I've been actually writing down a list of things that we can learn from this one example about new technologies mm. like what are some really kind of practical things that we should consider as technology practitioners
2: hmm okay okay so what should we consider yeah. we should always consider privacy yes you know mm. that's all that's always first and foremost that's one thing um, security like how do we yes. secure these endpoints how do we secure the data mm. that is super important when you're dealing with you know something like you know vehicles and things that weigh tons and tons and (laughs) they're moving uh, miles you know x miles per hour but also we have to consider the technology itself you know Mm. is it a new burgeoning technology is is something on the cusp is it something that a lot of people are being you know interested in and they're spending time on and you see it manifesting in other areas so it's not central to just you know say one vertical but a lot of people are are implementing this type of technology and you see it in different forms and you're like, oh, you know, this is something that could possibly be uh, helpful with the smart city, smart road thing. There's a lot of things to consider, um, but those are the three that I'm thinking about. I could probably rattle off a few more, (laughs) but I'd like to hear what uh, both uh, Brent and Kim have to say about this.
0: Yeah. Brent, you go first. I want to hear what you have to say.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I feel like this is a bit of a cautionary tale of, of not getting overly focused on the positive things to the mm-hmm. point where we're ignoring some of the perhaps negative implications of this. You know, like, how is this going to play out in the real world? So things like you were talking about, Angela, like privacy, security, those those types of things. And another thing that I was thinking about is kind of related which is that I think so often we talk about theories and abstract ideas about how technology could or, or should work. But implementing those theories in real life is often really, really, really messy and really difficult. And so what you end up is, you know, with all of these sort of disparate platforms and, all of these legal issues and then all of these financial issues because it's never just about the technology. The technology is kind of embedded in all of these different, you know, cultural systems and governmental systems and things like that. And then the last thing, and this is something that Heather was saying that really, like, I mean, really, it's sticking with me. Which is that we often end up in these really, really long hybrid environments, you know, where, where some things are new and some things are really old. For mm-hmm. lack of a better yes. word, like some of the things are dumb and <laughs> some of the things are, are smart and those things have to coexist together for a really long time.
2: You know what? The hybrid approach is so prolific in technology. Yeah. Um yeah. Just, I mean, think about people who we started where hardware started. We we run our hardware on prem. You know, yeah. we're you yeah. know, we're not moving to the cloud. And then some, you know, some workloads can make it there. You know, yeah. they're they're, yeah. they're probably not you know show test dev, whatever. But what we do is we have to make sure that they still work together. Yeah. That innovation is happening, but people are still comfortable in their own space and they're not yeah. so they have to live in this hybrid world for a couple of years forever. I mean maybe hybrid is just the world that we have to live in because yes. for whatever reason. <laughs> and we just have to make it work. Which actually you it just work. blew
1: my mind. Oh. That's, <laughs> no, that's exactly it though. Like there there's probably nothing but hybrid. Is that a weird is that a, it's like is that too
2: No. You're, is, that,
1: is that too far? Like
2: You're really spot on. And huh. Heather put it down when she said it. That's yeah. exactly. Yeah. We have to figure out if we, you know, technology happens. It's on a continuum. Yeah. And it doesn't happen all at once. Things are advancing much slower or faster depending on the technology. Yeah. But we still have to work together, mm. right? That's mm. We have to sometimes live in this approach. And it might be indefinite. And that's okay. Because mm. there's always going to be innovation. Yeah. And there's always going to be, you know, things that are kind of bringing up the rear, um, yeah. like Grey Ghost. And that's okay. But <laughs> they still have a place. And we just have to work have within those. <laughs> they, we, right. And we just have to work in those confines. So she hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah.
1: Kim, what is what is on your <laughs> list? Sorry. I got like. <laughs> we I got to uh, get my, to
0: Kim's my, list.
1: <laughs> my, I just, I don't know. that That all just kind of blew my mind.
0: Both of your points are spot on. We do have many different systems that have a mix of legacy infrastructure and newer technology existing in the same space at the same time, trying to communicate or integrate with each other. But the most important thing, I think, in all of this is who are smart roads being built for? Ultimately, we have to think about the people that are impacted by this type of technology. People who are trying to travel from point A to point B, from home to work or home to school. Whatever their needs are as a community, those things need to be at the forefront of the minds of any technologist, any business, any government organization. That's what it means to build roads smarter. We can't
2: forget the most important element in all that. Yes. It's the people.
1: people. It's the yeah. people. That's always that's always it, right?
2: Yes. Exactly. And that does it for this episode of Compiler.
1: Today's episode was produced by Kim Huang and Caroline Craighead. Victoria Lawton always keeps us on course and in third gear.
2: <laughs> Our audio engineer is Christian Proham. Special thanks to Sean Cole. Our theme song was composed by Mary Anchetta.
1: Big thank you to our guests, Harold Ruckriegel and Heather Husson, for sharing their time with us.
2: Our audio team includes Lee Day, Laura Barnes, Stephanie Wunderlich, Mike Esser, Claire Allison, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Boo Boo House, Rachel Ertel, Mike Compton, Ocean Matthews, and Laura Walters.
1: If you like the show, please subscribe and, you know, leave us a review or talk to us on social using the hashtag compiler podcast.
2: We would love it if you would reach out to us and thank you all for listening.
0: We'll see you soon. All right. I am stopping my recording.
1: Hi, I'm Mike Ferris, Chief Strategy Officer and longtime Red Hatter. I love thinking about what happens next with generative AI. But here's the thing, foundation models alone don't add up to an AI strategy. And why is that? Well, first, models aren't one-size-fits-all. You have to fine-tune or augment these models with your own data, and then you have to serve them for your own use case. Second, one-and-done isn't how AI works. You've got to make it easier for data scientists, app developers, and ops teams to iterate together. And third, AI workloads demand the ability to dynamically scale access to compute resources. You need a consistent platform, whether you build and serve these models on-premise, or in the cloud, or at the edge. This is complex stuff, and Red Hat OpenShift AI is here to help. Head to redhat.com to see how.